Amen. All right, we're there in Luke chapter 14. Of course, we're making our way through the book of Luke, and uh, we took a break from Luke on Sunday night, uh, but we're back in Luke tonight for our Bible study. And of course, um, as, we, as we're traveling through this gospel, we are on a journey with the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been on a journey with the Lord Jesus Christ, and I, I told you that this year would be the year of Jesus at Verity Baptist Church, and every year is the year of Jesus, but this year particularly as we study the life of Christ. And last time we were in Luke on Sunday morning, we left off in verse number 14, and tonight we're going to pick up in verse 15, but I would like you to notice just a few verses just to give you a little bit of context, because in Luke chapter 14 and verse 15, it seems a little random if you just look at verse 15, where the Bible says, and when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And if you understand the context, uh, which we have been preaching through the book in its context, and if you remember the Sunday morning sermon, it'll help you with that, uh, then you'll, this will help you make a little more sense. If you remember, we saw on Sunday morning that the Lord Jesus Christ was invited to a dinner party at the house of one of the chief uh, uh, the chief Pharisees, and while he was there, we got to listen in on some of the table talk of the Lord Jesus Christ as he taught them about hypocrisy and humility and hospitality. And if you remember in that conversation, during that table talk, during that dinner, the Lord Jesus Christ did a pretty good job at pretty much just offending everybody. He offended, of course, the religious leaders who attended the dinner party. If you look down, if you look back up, excuse me, at verse number three, Luke chapter 14 and verse three, just to give you a little bit of context, verse three says this, and Jesus answering spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? So, of course, we remember that there was a man who had the dropsy, a man who was sick there at the dinner party, and Jesus began by healing this man, and then he offends the lawyers and Pharisees by asking, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? We talked about that on Sunday. If you look down at verse 7, then he goes on to not only offend the religious leaders that are attending the dinner party, but then the Lord Jesus Christ goes on to attend all of the, to offend all of the invited guests at the dinner party. In verse 7, the Bible says, and he put forth a parable to those which were bidden. The word bidden means Invited. Of course, everyone here has been invited to this dinner, and Jesus puts forth this parable to those which were bidden, and he puts forth the parable, the Bible tells us there in verse 7, when he marked how they chose out the chief rooms, saying unto them. So he saw, he watched them all come in, and they were fighting and uh, trying to get the chief space in the dinner, at the dinner, and then Jesus gives them this parable about how they shouldn't be doing that and how they should uh, be esteeming other better than themselves. So he offends the religious leaders, he offends the other invited guests, and then he finishes off by offending the host of the dinner party himself in verse 12. Then said he also to him that bade him, the guy that invited him, and he said, when thou makest a dinner or a supper, and again, remember, he's at the dinner of this guy that invited him, and he says, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and recompense be made thee. So we see that Jesus shows up at this dinner, and he's giving all sorts of lessons and teachings and parables, and he's offending everybody. And as a result, if you remember, we saw this on Sunday morning, there's all sorts of awkward silence. Notice again there, just Luke chapter 14 and verse 3, and Jesus answering spake unto lawyers and Pharisees, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? Verse 4, and they held their peace. Uh, notice there in verse 5, the Bible says, and answered them, saying, Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fall into a pit and will not straightway uh, pull him out on the Sabbath day? Verse 6, And they could not answer him again. So the Bible is telling us, and, and this is why I want you to understand, when you study the Bible, you should get into the story. Put yourself there. Pull up a chair and, and, and get into what's happening here because Jesus is pretty much at dinner, you know, sitting, they're having a meal, I imagine that Jesus has a pleasant look on his face, maybe even a smile on his face, as he's just rebuking and, and, and pretty much just ripping face, 
you know, preaching to these people. And there's all these awkward silences. And they held their peace, verse 4. And they could not answer him again, verse 6. And I want you to understand that that is the context in which we get verse 15. Because verse 15 seems a little random unless you understand that they're at dinner. It's really hostile. Jesus is just really just kind of ripping everybody to shreds. Everybody just has these awkward silences. They don't know what to say. They don't want it to do. And within that awkward silence, verse 15, the Bible tells us, and one of them that sat at meat with him. So one of the guests at this dinner who's there when Jesus is making all these statements and making it awkward for everyone, one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, all the things that Jesus was preaching about hypocrisy and about humility and about hospitality. And he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And what's happening here is that it's just kind of awkward. So you have, you know, you probably know that person. You might have one in your family. You may be the one in your family who just can't handle silence. So whenever there's awkward silence, you got to say something. And this guy's just like trying to say something religious. You know, he's like, well, praise the Lord. You know, after like Jesus just told everybody, you're hypocrites, you're proud, arrogant fools, and you only care about yourselves. And the guy's like, blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, the reason that I make a big deal about that is because Jesus then gives a parable about eating bread in the kingdom of God. And it's interesting to me that this guy, and what he says is not a bad thing. What he says is a good thing. It's a a religious thing. It's a good thing. Uh, I don't know that he's a good guy or with a good group, but he's just kind of trying to break the silence. And he says, blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And I imagine that Jesus kind of looks at him and says, hold that thought. That reminds me. And then Jesus leads into this parable, which we're going to look at tonight. And it's brought forth as a result of this man trying to break the awkward silence, maybe trying to say something religious, something warm. Blessed is he that eateth bread in the kingdom of God. And on that note, Jesus begins the parable. Verse 16. Then said he unto him, a certain man made a great supper and bade many. Remember, they're at a dinner party. And if you remember from Sunday morning, we saw that Jesus has been teaching all these lessons about the dinner party and about uh, hospitality and about eating together and all these things. And now Jesus gives them yet another parable about this dinner party. And he says, a certain man made a great supper and bade. The word bade means to invite or to make an offering. He offered or he invited many and sent his uh, servants at supper time to say to them that were bidden, to say to them that were invited, come for all things are now ready. And I'd like you to keep your place there in Luke chapter 14. That's our text for tonight. But go with me if you would real quickly to the book of Revelation. Last book in the New Testament should be fairly easy to find, Revelation chapter 19. I want you to notice as we look at this parable of the Great Supper, there are three lessons that I'd like you to notice from this parable, and I'll give them to you, and you can write these down, and we'll move through these as quickly as possible. If you're taking notes, and of course, I always encourage you to take notes on the back of your course of the week. You can write down some things or bring a notebook and uh, study the Bible, uh, take notes as we study the Bible together. The first thing I'd like you to notice that we can learn from this parable of the Great Supper is an invitation to receive. Jesus focuses on the fact that there is an invitation to the supper, and the invitation needs to be received. The Bible, he says, a certain man made a great supper and bade many. He invited many and sent his servants at supper time to say to them that were bidden, come, for all things are now ready. Now, I want you to understand that this parable of the great supper is Jesus using this parable as an illustration of salvation. Salvation is illustrated by the Lord Jesus Christ and in some ways literally is an invitation to a dinner party. Salvation is an invitation. Notice notice there, are you there in Revelation 19? We could look at a lot of verses on this. I'm not going to because I recently showed you this in another sermon, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. But in Revelation 19.9, the Bible says, 
And he saith unto me, Write, blessed are they. Doesn't that sound like the religious guy that was trying to break the silence? So that's why I tell you what he said wasn't bad. He's just trying to say something. Blessed are they which are called unto the, notice it, marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. See, the Bible calls salvation, what we're going to go to. Of course, we know it's heaven and we'll spend eternity with God. But what we're going to after the resurrection, after the rapture, is the marriage supper of the Lamb. In Matthew 22, there is a very similar parable to the one we're seeing in Luke 14 about a wedding where invitations were sent out, people rejected them, and then others were brought in. Here, it's not a wedding, it's a supper. I believe both of these parables are referring to the same thing because what we are going to is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And all of this is a representation of salvation. All of this is a representation of heaven. And here's what you need to understand. Jesus is teaching that salvation is an invitation. Everybody is invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. A certain man made a great supper and bade many is the message and the theme of salvation. But notice there in Luke chapter 14 and verse 18, we see this invitation to receive. Salvation is an invitation. But unfortunately, and if you're a soul winner, you know this, many reject their invitation. Luke 14 and verse 18, notice what the Bible says. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. Notice, they're not necessarily just rejecting it. They're not saying, no, I don't want to go to the marriage supper. I don't want to go to the wedding supper. I don't want to go to the great supper. They're not, they're just making excuses. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. And I want you to consider how silly these excuses are. This first man says, well, I bought a piece of ground and I need to go see it. And you've got to ask the question, who buys property? Who buys real estate? Who buys a house without first looking at it? And if you're dumb enough to do that, then can't you just wait till after dinner? You already bought it. I mean, you already bought the property. It's already in your name. Escrow has already closed. The title is in your name. You might as well go to dinner and see it the next day. Either way, no matter how you cut it, it's a silly excuse. I bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go see it. He says, I pray thee, have me excuse. Look at verse 19. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I go to prove them. And again, the question needs to be asked. To put it in our modern vernacular, who purchases a vehicle without test driving it? I mean, this guy says, I, I, bought, I bought five yoke of oxen. He's, he's made an investment into his business. He's purchased these beasts of burden in order to use them out on the field. That's the only reason that you would buy five yoke of oxen. A total of ten oxen were purchased to plow a field, to work a field. He says, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. The word prove means to test them. And the question is, did you really buy five yoke of oxen and not test drive them? Did you really buy five yoke of oxen and you didn't look at them and make sure they're not limping or they're not injured or they're not sick? And the reason that Jesus is giving these excuses is because this, this, this Jewish uh, uh, crowd that he's speaking to in the first century would have been, th been thinking these thoughts. Who buys five yoke of oxen and has not proved them? Who buys a piece of ground and has not seen it? They would have known that these excuses were not legitimate excuses, but simply lies to get out of coming to the supper. So in verse 19, we have the second man. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. Here's probably the worst one. And another said, I have married a wife. I therefore cannot come. I like his. His isn't like, I pray thee, have me excused. He's just, my wife won't let me, you know? And that's, that's how some of you newlyweds are. You're not yet figured out that you're the head of the home and your wife runs you around and tells you what to do. He said, I got married and, and I can't come. And it's like, really? 
I remember when my wife and I got married, we were pretty broke. I th- we would have gone to any dinner anybody invited us to. <laughs> I mean, the, the, you, you can't bring your wife? And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. And the understanding here, the interpretation here, is how silly the excuses are for which people reject the invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb. They say, I bought property. Well, you can buy property and still get saved. I I bought yoke of oxen. Well, you've already bought them. You can still come to the supper and you'll own them. I married a wife. Well, bring her too. And, And it's silly. And you say, why would Jesus say, give this type of illustration and and, and these silly examples. And and I would just submit to you, go soul winning and you'll find out why. Because when you go out and you knock on people's doors and you invite them uh, to not church, but to salvation, you say, I've got a free invitation to heaven for you. I'd like you to, I'd like to offer you a uh, invitation to heaven. You'll literally have somebody standing there with a video uh, uh, game remote console in their hands and say, I'm busy. It's like, it doesn't look like you're busy. It looks like you're wasting a bunch of time. I have bought a new video game, and I must prove it. <laughs> you know, I, I, I've, I've got, you have all these excuses as to why people are going to die and go to hell. And people are literally going to remember for all of eternity that they stood there with a stupid video game console in their hands and said, I'm too busy to receive the message of salvation. See, the message of salvation is this. It is an invitation to be received. Go with me, if you would. Keep your place there in Luke 14 and go back to Matthew 22. If you go backwards, you got past Mark into the book of Matthew. Matthew 22. And do me a favor, when you get to Matthew, put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. I know Matthew's easy to find, but I'd like you to just be able to get to it quickly. Maybe put your finger there in Matthew, Matthew 22. Remember I told you that in Matthew there was a similar parable, not exactly the same, but similar, a parable of a wedding invitations that were sent out and people not coming to the wedding. Matthew 22 in verse 14 is the end of that parable. I'm not going to take the time to read that parable. I, I preached through that at another time. But it's a parable that is very similar to the one we're looking at in Luke 14, almost identical. And in Matthew 22, 14, Jesus ends that parable with this statement. He says, for many are called, but few are chosen. And people like to take that little phrase and and turn it into Calvinism and and predestination um, and, and this idea. And obviously... I understand the Bible uses the word predestinate, and we believe in the biblical sense of predestination, but we do not believe in the Calvinistic sense of predestination that God predetermines some people to go to hell and some people to go to heaven. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish. The Bible says that whosoever will may come. When, when the Bible says here, for many are called, but few are chosen, you say, what, what does that mean? And people like to take that one verse and pull out of context and create some sort of a Calvinist teaching. But that's within the context of the parable that was taught, which is very similar to this parable that we're seeing in Luke 14. And it is this, that invitations are sent out to anyone who wants them. Many are called, but few are chosen. Who is chosen? Those who receive the invitation. I often will use the illustration that salvation is as though I were to put an ad out in the newspaper. If I were to start a business and put an ad out in the newspaper, and I realize newspapers are, uh, you know, a dying thing. I understand that. But if I were to put an ad out on Facebook, how about that? Or an ad out on, on wherever uh, uh, and, and mail it out. If I were to put out an advertisement that said, I'm starting this business, I've got this big warehouse, I've got unlimited positions, positions for anyone, positions for everyone, anyone who wants a job can have a job. By the way, let me just say this, in the United States of America, anyone who wants a job can have a job. But if I were to say, hey, anyone who wants a job can have a job, anybody, 
A million people, I got enough jobs for everyone. Let's say 3,000 people show up. So I hired 3,000 people. I chose them. You said, you predestinated them. No, no. Many were called, but few were chosen. Well, how did you choose the ones that were chosen? I chose the ones who received the invitation. Or in my illustration, who put in the application, right? Many are called, but few are chosen is this idea that salvation is an invitation to a dinner party. Salvation is an invitation that is sent out to anyone and to everyone. And you get the choice, and I get the choice, and people out there get the choice to decide whether they will receive Christ, whether they'll receive salvation, they'll receive the invitation, or whether they will reject it. And I'm here to tell you, and I know you know this, but it's good for us to be reminded. This world has an idea that says good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell, and the Bible does not teach that. The Bible does not teach that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. In fact, the Bible teaches that there is none that doeth good, no, not one. You say, what is the difference between somebody who goes to heaven and somebody who goes to hell? One received the invitation and one rejected it. Salvation is an invitation. Unfortunately, many rejected. We see in this great supper parable an invitation to receive. But I'd like you to notice, secondly, tonight, if you go back to Luke chapter 14, not only do we see an invitation to receive, but we also see in this parable of the great supper a warning to heed. There's a warning in this parable, and the warning is regarding the dissemination and the rejection of the gospel. I want to just take some time and kind of go through this parable and show you the dissemination of the gospel because the Bible is clear about the dissemination of the gospel and how it was to go and how it did go. And it is highlighted in this parable. Jesus is highlighting it uh, for a reason. Now, I asked you to go to Luke 14, right? You're there in Luke 14. Just real quickly go to Romans, if you would. Romans chapter 1. If you're there in Luke, you have John, Acts, Romans. And I realize that you have your place in Matthew. I'd also like you to keep your place in Romans. We're going to go back and forth between Matthew, Luke, and Romans. So I'd like you to be able to do that quickly. Romans chapter number 1. And I want you to understand that the Bible, especially in the first century, gave a, an order of sequence regarding the dissemination of the gospel. I'll just show that to you really quickly. I know you are familiar with it, but I want you to see it. Romans 1.15, so as much as in me is, Paul says, I am ready to preach the gospel. Notice the context is preaching the gospel. To you that are at Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. I want you to notice the order. To the Jew first. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. The order in which the gospel was supposed to be given was to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. We see the Lord Jesus Christ. He went to Judea. He went to the nation of Israel. He went through the cities and villages of, of Israel. You say, why? Because it was to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Even in the ministry of the Apostle Paul, we'll see that he often, even in Gentile locations, would go to the synagogue first and he would preach there and get kicked out of there and then go to other places. You say, why is that? Because it's to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You say, Pastor Jimenez, you're starting to sound a little bit like a Zionist. And I, I, I'm, I'm starting to sound like a little bit like a Biblicist, okay? I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I'm not a Zionist. And the reason for the Jew first and also the Greek is not because we're Zionists and, and the Jews are some sort of special breed that are supposed to get uh, a special treatment. There's a very practical reason why the gospel was supposed to go to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I want you to understand that. And that's what Jesus is highlighting in this parable. Go back to Luke 14. Keep your place in Matthew. Keep your place in Romans. Go to Luke 14. Luke 14, chapter uh, 17. Luke 14, excuse me, Luke 14, verse 17. And sent his servant, right? We're in our parable, the great supper. And sent his servant. Who's the servant that he sent? Notice, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, come for all things are now ready. Now, if we compare this, and we're not going to, because I don't have time to, we've got too many things to, to look at. But if we compare it to the parable of the great wedding supper in Matthew 22, it's extremely clear in that parable that the servants were the prophets. 
that had came to the nation of Israel and brought the gospel presentation. I want you to notice that here in Luke 14, 17, the Bible says, and sent his servant. I do believe that the servant here represents the prophets, but this is a singular servant, and I believe that this is a representation of a specific prophet, specifically John the Baptist. Jesus is explaining to these people, because remember, the one guy, the one religious guy who doesn't like awkward silences said, blessed is he that eateth bread in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says, right. That reminds me. Heaven is like a supper that people are invited to, and the good man of the house, the the guy running, uh, throwing the party, who represents God, verse 17, sent his servant, John the Baptist, at supper time to say to them that were bidden, to say to them that were invited, come, for all things are, notice, now ready. See, it was John the Baptist who said, he saw Jesus come and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. It was John the Baptist who said, Hey, come, nation of Israel, those that were bidden, come, for all things are now ready. But what was the problem? Verse 18, And they all with one consent began to make excuse. One consent means to agree in harmony or in sentiment or in opinion. And the truth is this, that these people that we see in the story making these excuses, these people who are saying there in verse number 19, uh, 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 in verse 19, uh, excuse me, in verse 18, the first said unto him, I have brought forth a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. Verse 19, and another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. Verse 20, another said, I married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Uh, These individuals who Jesus is pointing out in this story, they represent the Jews. But please understand something. They specifically represent the religious Jews. The religious Jews who were invited, the religious Jews who the invitation went to. You say, who did the invitation go to? The invitation of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The invitation of the second coming. It was sent by the prophets to the nation of Israel. It was sent by the prophets to these individuals, these Pharisees, these lawyers, these Sadducees. They were the ones that were invited. They were not the only ones that were invited, but they were the ones that were first invited, and they were the ones that should have recognized their invitation. Why? Because they were the ones that had received the servant, the prophets, and had received the invitation. Let me, let me just prove it to you. Go to Romans chapter 3. If you kept your place in Romans, Romans chapter 3. If you're familiar with the book of Romans, you know that Paul spends Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3 pretty much explaining that we're all sinners. Explain the fact that they are, referring to all mankind, without excuse. Explaining the fact that God reveals himself through creation. God reveals himself through conscience. That we're all sinners, we all need salvation, we all need uh, the, the, the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So in Romans chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul asks a very logical question, because he's explaining, hey, the Jews know better than the Gentile, they're all sinners, they're all under the law, they're all needing salvation. So then the question, Romans 3 verse 1, is, what advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? Circumcision is just referring to the Jewish people. And the question is this. If everyone is a sinner, then what advantage was there to being a Jew? And the answer to the question, verse 2, Paul says, much every way. He says, look, there were a lot of advantages to being a Jew. He says there were many advantages, much every way. And then he says this, chiefly, here's the number one advantage, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. The oracles of God is a reference to the word of God or to the law of God. And here's what uh, Paul is teaching, and here's what the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching. He's saying, look, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, the Jews of his day, and the religious Jews specifically, they had been given the oracles of God. They had the access to the word of God. They had access to the prophets and the preaching of the prophets. They had uh, received the invitation. They were the first to be invited, and they were the ones that made excuse. The ones that should have recognized the bridegroom were the ones who said, 
I have bought a piece of property. I pray they have me excuse. I bought five yoke of oxen. I pray they have me excuse. I just got married. Please excuse me. I cannot come. And this is why John would write the words, he came unto his own and his own received him not. So we see that the gospel was to go to the Jew first, but even when it go, went to the Jew, I want you to understand this. It went in two different phases. First, it went to the religious Jew. You say, why would it go to the religious Jew? Because, because uh, God is racist and he wanted it to go to them first. No, it went to the religious Jew first because it was the religious Jew who should have been ready to see and to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why Paul would go to the synagogue first. Why? Because it should have been those at the synagogue who should have understood and clearly seen that Jesus was the Messiah. It's the same thing as when you and I knock on a door and, and, and a Catholic opens the door versus a Hindu opens the door. Look, can God save both? Absolutely. But who's easier to get saved? Well, the Catholic, he's not saved. The Catholic's not saved. But at least the Catholic has an understanding of the Bible, knows who Jesus is, has some sort of foundation in some sort of uh, biblical Christianity. It's a lot easier to show a Catholic, hey, you know, you're, you're, yes, Jesus, good, but you're trusting in works. Let me show you what the Bible actually says. There's a foundation there that allows us to give the gospel versus like a Hindu or a Muslim that doesn't even have that understanding. And that's what Paul was doing. He'd go to the synagogue first because they should have had an understanding of the Old Testament law and scriptures of the Old Testament and the coming of the Messiah. It went to the Jew first, Jesus is teaching us, but it was the Jew, the religious Jews, who would not accept it. So then what happened? Well, this parable explains to us what actually happened in the ministry of Christ, but I want you to look at it. Look at Luke 14 and verse 21. Luke 14 and verse 21. You say, Pastor, you preach a lot about the Jews. I'm just preaching through the gospel of Luke. Jesus preaches a lot about the Jews. And I preach a lot about soul winning, but I'm preaching just through, it's just what Jesus talks about. It's his hobby horse, not mine. Luke 14, verse 21. The invitation went to the religious Jew. Why? Because that unto them was committed, were committed the oracles of God. But they rejected it. They made excuses. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. So then it went what I'm going to refer to, and maybe this is the wrong way to refer to it, but it went to the sinful Jew. Notice Luke 14 and verse 21. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. What did the servant come and show his Lord? He showed his Lord that those people that you invited don't want to come. They've made excuses to not come. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servants, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. You say, what happened when the religious Jews rejected Jesus? Jesus went to the Jews that were not religious, that were not well-connected, that were not uh, 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 in, 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 in positions of authority. He went to the poor. He went to the maim. He went to the halt. He went to the blind. And they got saved. Go, go back to Matthew chapter 9. Let me show it to you. Matthew chapter 9. If you kept your place in Matthew, Matthew chapter 9 and verse 10. Matthew 9 and verse 10. And it came to pass, Matthew 9 10. And it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house. Behold, notice, many publicans and sinners... Who are the publicans and sinners? These are the poor, the maimed, the halt, and the blind. Many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master uh, with uh, publicans and sinners? Notice the Pharisees have a problem with Jesus eating with publicans and sinners. Verse uh, 12, But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. So notice he, the religious Jews... The Pharisees, the lawyers, the scribes, they rejected him. But the publicans and the sinners, the poor, the maimed, the halt, and the blind, they accepted Jesus and they accepted their invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And Jesus said, they that are holy, not a physician, but they that are sick. Go to Matthew 21. Let me show you another passage. Matthew 21, verse 31. So I want you to see how this parable, the ones that should have, the ones that should have understood 
that Jesus is the Messiah. They didn't recognize it. They made excuse. So then the master said, well, go invite the rough crowd, the, the maimed, the blind, the halt, the harlots, the publicans, the sinners. Matthew 21 and verse 31 the verse says, Whether of them twain did the will of his father, they say unto him the first. That is the ending to a parable that I'm not going to get into tonight. But I want you to notice what Jesus says at the end of that parable. In verse 31, Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, this is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, speaking to the religious elite, the religious Jew. Verily I say unto you that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. That's what this parable is about. It's about the fact that an invitation was sent out by the servants, by the prophets, those who received the invitation, who had the oracles of God, who should have been ready to receive uh, the, 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 the gospel and receive the invitation to the wedding, it made excuses, rejected it. So then he said, well, go to the maim, go to the blind, go to the halt, go out in the, into the lanes and find the publicans and the harlots, and bring them in because they that are holy, not a physician, but they that are sick. And then I want you to notice, because if you remember Romans 1.16 says to the Jew first and also to the Greek, that then the invitation goes to the Gentiles. Look, look at Luke 14 and verse 22. Luke 14.22. And the servant said, Lord, it is done thou has, as thou hast commanded. Because what did he command? He commanded that he go hither and bring the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant comes back and said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. So here's yet another, a third group of people that are invited. You say, Who are these people? This is us. Amen. This is the Gentiles. He went unto his own, and his own received him not. He went to the, uh, the, the, the nation of Israel who had the oracles of God. They had received the invitation. They should have identified it and accepted it. They made excuse. He said, okay, forget you. Then go get the halt, the maimed, the blind. He said, go get the harlots, the publicans. Go get the sinners. They that are holy, not a physician, but they that are sick. He brought them in, and then the servant said, there's still more room. He says, then go even further out in the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. Because the gospel is to go to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But there's a warning here. And the warning is this. Look at verse 24. For I say unto you. Now remember, this whole parable started with a statement from one guy who does not like awkward silences. He says, blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Right? Because it was awkward. And Jesus was rebuking them. And nobody knew what to say. And he stood up and he said, Well, I just think it's great. I just think it's good. Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, Right. Hold that thought. Let me tell you a story. The people who got the invitation rejected the invitation. The people who never received the invitation are the ones that accepted the invitation. And then we went out to people who'd never even heard of the invitation, and they are, are going to accept the invitation. And here's the warning, verse 24. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. You say, why is Jesus just putting a wet blanket on everything? Because this religious Jew says, well, maybe we did mess up. Maybe we are being hypocrites. Maybe we're not being humble. Maybe we're not good at hospitality. But at least we're going to heaven. And Jesus says, actually, I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden, the men that received the oracles of God, the men that received the prophets, that received the invitation from the prophets. None of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. And here's the warning. The warning is this, that you do not get into heaven because of your lineage. You don't get into heaven because you were born a Jew. And by the way, you don't get into heaven because you were born a Baptist. You say, who gets into heaven? Those who accept the invitation. 
What if they're maimed and they're blind and they're halt? What if they're sick? What if they're publicans? What if they're sinners? What if they're hot? Hey, if they, what if they're Greeks? What if they're barbarians? If they receive the invitation they're in. And if you reject the invitation, no matter how religious you are, Jesus says, none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. So we see number one in this parable, an invitation to receive. We see number two, a warning to heed. And then thirdly tonight, and I'll do this as quickly as I can, we see a mission to achieve. It's hard to read this passage of scripture and not just see the gospel and soul winning just pop out in the verses. I want you to notice that Jesus teaches us that there is a mission that we must achieve. There's a mission he has given us to, that must be accomplished. I want you to notice the mission is found there in verse 23, Luke 14, 23. And if you want to write these down, right next to this phrase, go out into the highways and hedges. You can write this word, the mission. Go out into the highways and hedges. That's why we have an active soul winning program here at Verity Baptist Church. That's why there'll be a group of people that'll show up for soul winning tomorrow at 2 p.m. and on Friday at 2 p.m. and on Saturday we'll have somewhere around 100 soul winners that will go out into this community two by two from house to house in the highways and the hedges and the lanes. We, they'll, they'll go out. Why? Because our mission is to go. Look, there is a wedding party, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Invitations need to be sent out. We need to go out and invite them. You say, what is our mission to go out into the highways and hedges? What is the method? It's there in verse 23. And compel them to come in. You can write next to that phrase and compel them to come in. You can write this word, the method. Our mission, go out into the highways and hedges. Our method, compel them to come in. The word compel means to bring about by pressure or influence. And, and please don't misunderstand that. And I'm concerned to even uh, uh, make a big deal about that because I don't want you to misunderstand the word compel there. That word has been used and abused throughout history. It was used by the Catholics and, and by other so-called Christians uh, to uh, justify persecution like the Spanish Inquisition and, and to try to, thinking that the word compel means that you can force somebody. The word compel can mean to force somebody, but when Jesus says compel them to come in, he's saying we must use our influence, we must use our energy, we must do everything in our power to try to get people to receive the invitation with the realization that we can't force anybody. That's the whole point of the parable. You can't force, you can't drag somebody into the wedding. They have to want to come. But we need to do everything in our power to compel them to come in. Let's just run a few verses real quickly just to show you what that looks like. Because compelled to come in does not mean that you just, you know, force people. It does not mean that you just give the gospel for two minutes to somebody and say, pray this prayer with me. You say, what does it mean to compel? Acts 9, verse 29. Let me just show you some verses. Acts 9, 29. Acts 9.29. The best thing to show you what compelling looks like is just to show you one of the greatest soul winners in the Bible, the Apostle Paul. Acts 9.29. The Bible says, and he, that's Paul, notice what the Bible says, spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. And of course, you know, here Paul is preaching the gospel, and I don't believe that Paul is necessarily being, being rude or, or mean to these people, but he is being clear as he communicates the gospel that there is one way uh, uh, to, for salvation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. So the Bible tells us that he spake boldly and disputed. Go to Acts 17, look at verse 2. Acts 17 and verse 2. Acts 17 and verse 2, the Bible says, And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days, notice these words, reasoned with them out of the Scripture. You say, why did he reason with them? Because Paul was not using this one, two, three, repeat after me method. He was reasoning with them. He wanted to make sure they understood the gospel. They believed the gospel. Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. Verse 3, opening. The word opening means, it's the, the word that you and I would use would be expounding. 
opening up the scriptures, expounding upon the scriptures, and alleging, the word allege means to assert with proof, alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. So what does it mean to compel? It means that you go to people, and, and, and you're not mean. We're not confrontational, but we do confront them with the gospel. We speak boldly. We speak clearly. We dispute uh, 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 false teaching and preaching. We reason with people out of the scriptures. We open and allege the word of God and teach them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to Acts 18, look at verse 4. Acts 18, verse 4. What does compel look like? Acts 18, 4. And he, Paul, notice what the Bible says, reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded. That's probably the best word for the word compel. The best synonym there is that he persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. Notice the order. Acts 19 and verse 8. And he, Acts 19 and verse 8. And he, Paul, went into the synagogues. Notice what the Bible says. And spake boldly. For the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when diverse were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples. Notice what the Bible says, disputing daily in the school of one, Tyrannus. Go to Acts 26 real quickly. Acts 26, verse 27. You say, what does it mean to compel them to commit? It means that we go out there with passion. We go out there with energy. We go out there with a broken heart. And we want to reach people to God. We're not mean to them. We're not rude to them. But we speak boldly. We open and allege to them and reason out of the scriptures and persuade them. Is it to come to church? No, to come to heaven. Acts 26 and verse 27. Here we have Paul compelling Agrippa. The Bible says, King Agrippa, this Paul, I won't take the time to go through the whole thing. He preached the gospel pretty much to him. This is what he says, Acts 26, 27. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. And Agrippa said unto Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. See that Paul and, and Agrippa did not get saved, but Paul was compelling him to come in. And Paul said, I would to God, and not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. I know that may sound really wordy to you, but that's a beautiful little statement that Paul makes. When, 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 when Agrippa says, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian, and Paul said, Agrippa, not only thou, but also all that hear me. He said, I wish everybody were both almost and altogether such as I am. He said, I wish you were persuaded. I wish you were compelled. I wish you were saved. He says, I wish, Paul says, I wish you were just like me, except these bonds, because <laughs> he's in prison. I'm not, I'm not wishing you were in prison, but I wish you were saved. Paul was compelling them. I wonder if that's why Paul had so much Success as a soul winner. I just wonder how compelling our gospel preaching is. How much compassion, how much, and I'm not saying that we need to go out there and put on some big show. I'm not saying that. But the Bible says that we should go out there, that we should earnestly contend for the faith. The Bible says that, that, that we should go out with a broken heart, with compassion, making a difference. Go back to Luke chapter 14. So we see the mission go out into the highways and hedges. We see the method compel them to come in. Now I want you to notice quickly, and we're, we're, we'll be done in two minutes. I just want you to notice this. Thirdly, we see the motivation. What's the motivation? Notice last part of verse 23, Luke 14, 23. That my house may be filled. Amen. Remember the house, the house is not the church house, although I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have a full church house tonight. But the house is the house of God, heaven. So what's the motivation for, for, for the mission, go out into the highways and hedges, for the method, compel them to come in? What's the motivation? That my house may be filled. That we might get to heaven one day and it is filled. It is filled. I hope, I hope that heaven is, it, obviously I hope it's filled with everybody, but I, I hope there's a huge uh, 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 just a subsection of people from Sacramento, California in heaven. And people are going to be like, where did all these Sacramento people come from? And it's like, well, there was this church, Verity Baptist Church. 
And for 12 years or 24 years or however many years God allows us to, they were out in the highways and hedges compelling them to come in that my house may be filled. And I just want to show you quickly tonight, and we'll finish here, in verse 22, the measure. We saw the mission go out into the highways and hedges. We saw the method compel them to come in. We saw the motivation that my house may be filled. Then I want you to notice the measure. You say, what do you mean by the measure? I mean the capacity. How, how many people can go to heaven? I love this little phrase. Sometimes it's just the little phrases that get me. Luke 14, 22, and the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded. Notice this little phrase. Here's the capacity, the measure. And yet there is room. I love that. Do you know that up in heaven right now? There's an angel looking down and saying, yet there is room. Yet there is room. There's still room at the cross for you. Though many have come, there's still room enough. There's room at the cross for you. And yet, there is room. You say, why should we go out soul winning this Saturday morning? Because yet there is room. Why should we go again next week? Because yet there is room. Why should we go till the end of, uh, uh, of, of our time here on earth or till the rapture? Because until God tells us we're done, yet there is room. There's room. Many are called, but unfortunately, few are chosen. Not because God limited it, because God says no limit, yet there is room. But we have to get the invitation out. And then, of course, people have to make the choice whether they will receive it or whether they'll reject it. It's an invitation to receive. It's a warning to heed. And it's a mission to achieve. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this passage of Scripture, this parable. And I know you're teaching us primarily about salvation and about soul winning. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to learn the things we need to learn. Help us to realize that it's not that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell is that you either receive the invitation or you don't. And you don't get born into it. You don't just get brought in because of the church you went to. Everyone must personally make the decision to receive the invitation, to make no excuses for it. And for those of us that have received the invitation, I pray you'd help us to see the mission that you've given us to go out in the highways and hedges, to compel them to come in, that your house may be filled because yet there is room. Lord, I pray you'd help us to be a soul-winning church that would get the message out, the gospel. We love you. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Now, Brother Moses, come up and lead us in a final song. And if there's anything we can do for you, please, please let us know. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's any announcements that I'm supposed to be giving you, but I don't think there...